Father God, we thank you that you have given to us the name above every name, the name of Jesus, that we can use in prayer, that we can come and ask for what we need. And you've promised that everything we ask in the name of Jesus shall be given. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy shall be full. We thank you there is forgiveness, there is healing, there is freedom, there is peace, there is power, there is everything we could need in the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. We lift that name up today. We give you praise. We give you thanks in this house for all that you have done, all that you promised to do, and all that we believe you will accomplish in our lives and in this place. In the name of Jesus and all God's people shouted. Let's give God a praise, church. Come on. I said that whole prayer without breathing. I was very light-headed at the end. You've got to watch how close you're... (laughs) Well, we are continuing to uh, do this message series called Eyes Wide Open. And uh, what I'm doing is I am sharing throughout this book the idea in this message series, the idea that you do not come to a place in your Christian faith where you now know it all, okay? You do not come to a place in your Christian faith where you say, okay, now I've learned all there is to learn. That will not happen, right? But for many of us, it does happen because we, uh, we become a Christian, everything is brand new to us, and and we listen to everything that other people say because they've all been Christians longer than us, so they obviously must know what they're talking about. And so at first we just buy into everything that people who have been Christians longer than us say, but at some point in your life you realize that, there are, that some, Christian, some people who have been Christians longer than you say one thing, and some people who have been Christians longer than you say a different thing, And so now it becomes confusing because here's two people who are Christians. They've both been Christians longer than you, so they should know more than you do, and yet they can't agree with each other. And now you don't really know what to believe or what to do. And then you go through a phase where you try to work out what it is you believe and what's right and what's wrong. And then just when you think you've got it all down, God opens your eyes to see something in the Bible, something in Scripture, something in in the Spirit, something in the Christian life that you've never seen before, and God has the irritating habit of messing with our theology. Have you ever noticed that? You're saying, oh, come on, God, I just worked it all out. We will never work it all out. I think we will spend eternity having our eyes open and saying, Aha! Over and over again, because there's so much to God and to to His creative nature and to the life that He's given us. Now, what I am not saying is, now, 
I've discovered all the right beliefs to believe, and so you need to now take everything I'm saying in these messages and add them to your list of beliefs that you believe. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I want you to keep your spiritual eyes wide open for the entirety of your life here on earth, having faith that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who inspired Scripture in the first place and also dwells in you, will keep opening your spiritual eyes to see more and more new things will keep you amazed at who God is, will constantly be challenging you to raise your faith level and to believe and to see and to understand and to experience more and more. Now, I am showing you things that weren't right in my Christian life, that didn't fit together, that I was bothered by, and by maintaining an open relationship with God and maintaining the attitude of being a lifelong learner, not a Bible expert, but a lifelong learner, then I continued to have my eyes open to new things which kept my faith alive and which answered the difficulties and the problems and the, the uh, things that weren't fitting together right in my own life and in the lives of others that I was pastoring. It, God, I want God to open your eyes. Now, I'm, going to, I'm sharing with you the things that my eyes were open to, and I think there's probably a lot of people in the same boat as me that your eyes are going to be open to it. But I also understand that there might be, so like today I'm going to be talking about the symbols of the book of Revelation. And as I was driving here this morning and thinking about it, I was trying to put myself in your position. And I thought, you know, I can remember times in my Christian life where if I came to church and sat through a message about the meaning of the symbols in the book of Revelation, I'd have sat there thinking, uh, I don't have a clue what this guy's talking about. I don't understand any of this, right? I can think of other times in my Christian life that if I sat through a message like that, I would be like, whoa, this is fantastic. Everybody in the world needs to know this. Ever been like that? You know, you're, you think everybody needs to know something. Nobody else is interested in it but you. I'd have been all, I'd have gone and bought a whole load of books afterwards and read them all. Then I can think of other times in my journey of faith where I would have listened to it and thought, okay, all of that may be true and well, but honestly, I am facing real problems and real difficulties in my life. I need to know, I need God to give me inner peace. I need Him to answer my prayers, and I need Him to give me wisdom to solve this problem. I don't really care what the mark of the beast was. I need this problem solved in my life. So, I'm aware that there will be people in this room at all different places, and for some of you, this message is going to answer a whole lot of questions that you have. But for some of you, you're going to think, I don't know how this applies to my life. I don't really know what he's talking about. Can I encourage you to listen anyway and store it away in a closet in your subconscious mind? Because I guarantee you that in the future, you will hear every kind of wackadoodle Christian idea from the book of Revelation that will confuse you or will alarm you or will just uh, uh, cause arguments to erupt because you won't, you'll know it's wrong, but you won't know the answer. But if you can go into that closet in your subconscious mind and say, what, what was it Martin said all those years ago? I'm just going to dig those boxes out. 
And then you will, so if you don't, if this isn't answering a question you have about your faith today, at some point in your life, you will have these questions about your faith, and it will answer them. So, we're going to look at the book of Revelation. I've called this message Apocalypse Then, not Apocalypse Now, Apocalypse Then, because as we saw last week, the word apocalypse does not mean the end of the world, and it certainly does not mean a Nicolas Cage movie. The word apocalypse means the unveiling. It actually means to pull back the curtain and unveil something so you can see what's going on behind the curtain. What it means is a pulling back of the curtain of human history so that your eyes are open to the spiritual reality behind what is happening in human history. And it is, so it is a prophecy about what is happening behind the scenes, but it is a prophecy that is told not in plain speech, but in the language of symbols. As you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see that he sees this symbol, and then he describes it all. Then he sees another one, and he describes it all. It's almost like walking through an art gallery that is, where the walls are lined with different paintings, and you look at the painting, and a painting, a picture has a thousand words. It, you know, that one painting says so much. Now, if you walk into an art gallery, there are people who will look at a painting and they will take the exact wrong inter. Have you ever seen any of these art? experts talk about some painting, and you're like, there is no way that painting is about that. <laughs> I remember once I was in, in Glasgow in Scotland, I was walking down the street, and it, it, the rain came on really strong, and there was a kind of hippy-dippy kind of art gallery there and um, uh, called the Third Eye Centre. And um, it was raining, and I thought, I'm going to go into the Third Eye Center. I mean, like the cafe, all they sold, if I remember right, was lentils and green tea or stuff like that. But anyway, I went in, and there was this art exhibition on. There were two art exhibitions on, both of, of, of abstract contemporary art. One of them was quite good. The other one was absolutely awful. I mean, it was awful. It looked like a four-year-old had got a big piece of paper and watery paint and had just done that until the paper had holes in it and then they stuck it and they were selling it for thousands. And there was all these artsy people standing around with champagne. And I was listening to their conversations and they were, this is just reminding me of the cosmic experience of all of humanity and all of this. And then this little housewife came in with her shopping bags. She was obviously just in out the rain as well. And she stood right in the middle as all these pompous art people were giving explanations that had nothing to do with the painting. And she said, this is the biggest load of crap I've ever seen in my life, and picked up her bags and walked out. <laughs> it was like the boy that shouted, the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> and so many people will take the paintings in the book of Revelation and make them about things that they were never intended to be about in the first place. So I want to just look at some of them today and show you that. The first one we're going to look at is the woman and the dragon from Revelation 12. This is a famous one. And now, I'm going to mention as we look at these, 
why it's important to uh, understand what these are really about. So there is a, a vision in Revelation chapter 12 of a woman and a dragon, and I've got a picture, an image of it. It, it, it looks like this. There is this woman, and she is clothed with the sun, and she has a crown of 12 stars on her head, and she has the moon below her feet. This image is the constellation Virgo, the virgin, okay? And it says that there's another image there. There is this great red dragon with many heads. And this virgin, the constellation Virgo, is pregnant, and she's about to give birth. And the dragon there is waiting for the baby to be born so that it can kill the baby. And then in the vision, after the baby's born, it, is, it ascends up to heaven and goes to be with God. And the dragon is so mad that it tries to attack the woman. The woman escapes for a period of three and a half years. And the dragon is upset that the woman escaped. So the dragon goes to find her other offspring, who it, set, it details as Christians, so that it can persecute them. Now, it's a painting, it's a symbol, it's an image. But it's important we understand what this is about because just last year, one of these internet prophecies went out all over the world that this symbol from Revelation 12 symbolized some great event that was going to happen. If I remember right, it was in October 2018. Well, I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't need to pay any attention to it. I knew that was a lot of rubbish. The reason I knew it was a lot of rubbish was because I had already looked into this, and I knew what this actually symbolized. You could tell me a million false explanations of it, and they'll just all fall off me. Because once your eyes have been opened to see the truth, the truth will set you free. So next time some crazy prophecy comes around the internet and people tell you it's connected with Revelation 12 and the constellation Virgo and all of that, it is a constellation Virgo, but it's not about us. It's not about something happening in our day and age. Let me detail this to you. Let's read on. Let's go to the next passage. Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A great what? This is a sign in the heavens. This is a star sign. This is a constellation. A great sign appeared in the heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with a crown of 12 stars on her head, the constellation Virgo. She was pregnant. Well, how can a virgin be pregnant? Well, God predicted that a virgin would be pregnant. God himself will give you the sign. A virgin will, we read it every Christmas, will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so we, we know what this is talking about. Now, incidentally, this is um, not only related to the constellations in the sky, but it's also related to the Old Testament. The Old Testament predicted something. The constellations in the sky predicted the same thing. You know, before we had the Bible on paper, we had the Bible on this in the sky, which we'll look at next week. And, uh, and it, it depicted exactly the same thing as the prophecies of Scripture, that this would, this would come to pass. But as well as it 
And then it, the New Testament, the life of Jesus fulfills it. But as well as this being a symbol, this symbol literally happened. Round about the time of the conception, or sometime between the conception of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, in the sky over Israel, and this is one of the star signs that the Magi, the wise men, were observing and following. In the sky, in the constellation Virgo, it says she was clothed in the sun, and she had the moon beneath her feet. Virgo was in a particular position. The moon was beneath her feet, and she became impregnated with the sun. The sun came and dwelt within Virgo, as if the virgin was pregnant. That literally happened at the time of the conception of Jesus in the night sky, and those planetary and constellation alignments were being followed by the Magi miles away in Persia, and that was just one in a series of constellations. This was part of the Star of Bethlehem. Not only that, but this same this same, uh, con the same constellation and the same arrangement with the moon happened again at the death of Jesus. Remember the death of Jesus? There was a, the Bible says there was an eclipse and there was a blood moon at the death of Jesus. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross and when his bloody body was being taken off the cross and laid at the feet of his mother Mary on earth, in the heavens a blood moon was lying at the feet of the constellation Virgo in the heavens? Isn't it incredible that God knows the end from the beginning and has created the universe as a time clock that will map out His entire plan? Anyway, that was that. Um, let's just look at another image here from the book of Genesis. This is Joseph having a dream. Remember, Joseph had a dream of the sun and the moon and the living stars bowing down to him. And his father said to him, his father knew what the dream meant. He said, what, what, what are you saying by this dream? That me and your mother, the sun and the moon, and your 11 brothers, the 11 stars, will bow down to you, him being the 12th star. So when we see the constellation Virgo, and when we see her clothed in the sun with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars, we know that Virgo is a symbol of the nation of Israel because they were the forefathers of the nation of Israel. That symbol comes from the Old Testament as well as coming from the night sky. It comes from both of those places, both the Bible and the cosmos predicted and prophesied what would happen. And of course, we know it was fulfilled. The Virgin Mary becomes pregnant with not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N, the Son of God, and she gives birth to a child. But let's read on. What about the dragon? Let's read the next bit. Then another what? Another star sign, another sign in the heavens. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment he was born. This is another constellation, the constellation Draco, the dragon. It's not one of the 12 
of the zodiac, but it's of the wider belt of constellations. Draco the dragon. And this dragon is a... Now, it tells us as we read on that the Draco the dragon symbolizes the devil. But it's the devil particularly working through different heads. Heads being a head of state. It's interesting that it says it was a red dragon. Do you know that King Herod, who was not actually a Jew, he was an Edomite, but he became the king of the Jews, and the flag that the Edomites had was a red flag. Their color was red because the Edomites were descended from Esau. And you might remember from the book of Genesis, Esau was born with red hair. He sold his birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew, and then he moved to Mount Seir where he raised red-haired goats. So red became the symbol of the Edomites, and red was the symbol of Herod, and Herod was a head of state through whom the devil worked to try to kill the baby Jesus the moment it was born. Okay? And so we see that there. Um, let's, Let's go on to the next one the next image. When the Romans invaded the city of Jerusalem, the banner they carried was the constellation Draco, the dragon. So when we see the virgin woman, Virgo of Israel, being attacked by the constellation Draco, it is about Israel being attacked by the Romans because that was the very banner. They made a big bronze head of a dragon and then they put a silk windsock behind it so that it looked like the dragons were coming to attack the city when they invaded. And that is also what we see in the night sky. Let's read on. Let's read more of this passage. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. This is the prophecy of the Messiah. We'll see next week that the zodiac begins with the constellation Virgo, the promise that a virgin will give birth to a son who will be the savior of the world. And then it says, and the child was snatched up to God and to his throne. This is like fast forward. Jesus has lived, he's died, he's risen again, and now he has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And the woman fled to the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. In the city of Jerusalem, at the, around about 66 AD, all the people, people used to sleep on the rooftops, and all the people woke up one day, and they looked over the city walls, and they saw Jerusalem surrounded by the Roman armies. Now, the people who were not followers of Jesus really panicked, because they knew they were about to be invaded. But the people who had become followers of Jesus remembered that Jesus gave a prophecy. We looked at it last week in Matthew 23, 24, and 25. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee to the mountains. And then he said, don't even go down off of your rooftops. Well, how can you flee the city without going down off? Well, you see, the people who tried to get out of the gates of the city were killed. But the Christians remembered Jesus' prophecy, and they jumped from rooftop to rooftop 
till they got to the city walls, and then they climbed down the walls, and we know from history that they fled to, through the wilderness to the mountain areas to the city of Pella, where they were kept safe for three and a half years. I don't know if this is totally accurate, but the ancient historian Eusebius says, not a single Christian died in the Roman invasion of Jerusalem because they all fled following Jesus' prophecy to the city of Pella, and they were saved for three and a half years. The woman was given great wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she could be taken care of for time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. That's two different ways of saying three and a half years. 1,260 days, time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. That was the period of the great tribulation, the Roman war. In fact, I've just got one more image to show you with this. Uh, oh, yeah, it, and, then, and then when the dragon couldn't kill that woman because they escaped to Pella, the dragon or the, the devil working through the Roman Empire was enraged and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. That was when the Roman persecution of Christians started with them being thrown to the lions and so on. All of this happened. All of this was fulfilled. God's pro prophecies in the sky and in the Scriptures came to pass that a virgin woman from the nation of Israel gave birth to the Messiah, how the, how the devil worked through a political head of state to try and kill the Messiah when he was born, but he was kept safe, accomplished his mission and returned to heaven, the dragon, the, the, the devil working through the Roman Empire, carrying their Draco banners, attacked the city of Jerusalem, but the Christians listening to Jesus' prophecy had already fled to Pella and were kept safe for that three-and-a-half-year war before persecution broke out elsewhere in the empire. Next image. That was, where, that was where the city of Pella was, and that was how the Christians fled there. The woman with the child and the dragon. Nothing to do with October 2018, but to do with the great event that happened in the first century when the old covenant age was passing away with its laws and its priesthood and its temple and its sacrificial system and a brand new age, a brand new covenant was beginning when it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are forgiven and redeemed. And now, now, we, now we are the temples of God. We don't go to a temple. His law is written in our hearts. We don't uh, follow laws written on stones. We are all priests and can pray to God anytime, and we don't need a priesthood. And Jesus himself was the full and final sacrifice, and we will never again need. This is about the great change of the ages. And it's something that when we read it and we understand the imagery, all of a sudden we realize that it is finished. It is done. And we now live in the the fullness of that. Oh, but there's some scary images in Revelation. What about the beasts? The two beasts of Revelation. And these can, these, this passage particularly is very often used to depict some kind of really scary future 
for us. But once your eyes are open to see what it's about, the burden will lift off your shoulders and you will walk in freedom. And every time, because it's like every six months, we get, there's a new interpretation of this. I remember when it was Saddam Hussein. In fact, I can remember before that, it was Ronald Reagan. Because I can't remember what Ronald Reagan's middle name was, but it also began with R. Say it was Ronald Richard Reagan or something like that. And all three names had six letters in them. So it was 666. So Ronald Reagan must be the beast. Then before that, it was, oh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Oh, there's been a whole load of them. And so who, are, who is the beast of Revelation? Well, let's first of all, let's have a look at the, let's, have, let's go on to the next one. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And then I realized I was watching Cloverdale in a movie theater someplace. <laughs> the imagery in this comes from the Old Testament as well as the constellations, but also comes even from the Greek culture for they had all these myths of the titans who were locked up under the sea and so on. And so it draws upon all of these mythic and symbolic and spiritual and subconscious imagery. When the Bible talks about great beasts arising, it is talking about empires rising and empires falling. In the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, he predicts the rise and fall of the Babylonian Empire and the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire, and he describes them as different kinds of great beasts that are arising. This is what we're seeing here. I saw a beast coming out of the sea. What sea? The Mediterranean Sea. He was in the Isle of Patmos when he had this vision, which is in the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea is where Italy's little foot is that's kicking Sicily out of, the, you know that bit? And um, so Rome is right in the heart of the Mediterranean Sea. This means I saw a great vicious empire arise out of the Mediterranean area. And it had ten horns and seven heads and ten crowns on its horns. Now, these are the, the, main, the main Caesars and the, also the districts. So, when you start, uh, when you start with Ju the first Caesar, Julius Caesar, later on in the prophecy, it will say five of these Caesars, five of these kings, five of these crowns have fallen and one currently is. Well, all you do is start from Julius Caesar and count them, and you know that the emperor that was currently in power was the evil emperor Nero, okay? And it says, and on each head a blasphemous name. Do you know the Caesars took blasphemous names? They called themselves things like king of kings and lord of lords, son of God and savior of the world because they knew, Nero especially knew, that the Christians would never use those names of the emperor, and that was a good way to weed the Christians out. And so they took blasphemous names. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like those of a lion. The dragon, the devil, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Uh, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. 
And the whole land was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and said, who is like the beast and can wage war against it? By the way, the fatal wound was uh, Nero actually eventually committed suicide by stabbing himself in the neck. Not like the way I would do it, but anyway, that was the way he did it. Stabbed himself in the neck and everybody thought the Roman Empire was going to collapse after that. And, uh, and it looked like it was over. But the Roman Empire resuscitated again. And one of its emperor, the next emperor, Galba, he, he was only the emperor for eight months. It was a time of, of confusion that was going on. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's, so let's go on next. What's next? Is it my image? So there's the beast with all these heads. And if you know Daniel's prophecy from the Old Testament, some of those heads were the Babylonian Empire, some were the Greek Empire, and some were the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire gathered in all the other empires before it. And it's saying the Roman Empire, which has taken over all of the other empires, has become this great monstrous beast. Next, please. And then it says, then I saw a second beast. The first beast came out of the sea, and it is a great political power. The Roman Empire headed up by the evil and blasphemous Nero. Okay? Then over here we've got another beast. This one comes out of the land. This is the religious power. Imperial Rome is the first beast. Pagan Rome is the second beast. How do we know it's religious? Well, look, coming out of the earth, it was an earth religion that they worshipped. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It looked like a lamb, but it was a wolf in sheep's clothing, or rather it was a dragon in lamb's clothing. It looked like a nice religion, but it was actually evil and corrupt inside. And this is what the pagan religions of Rome were like, and they supported the emperor, and they made the emperor one of their gods and coerced people to worship the emperor. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf, and it made the land and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from, from heaven to the earth in the full view of the people. Now, let's read on. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beef, beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor to the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and, and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, the second beast, pagan, the pagan priests, the pagan religion of Rome, it forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. 
The very, very first time I ever heard this was when I was a teenager, and it was Iron Maiden. Does anybody, was it Iron Maiden? Was that what it was? Well, the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man. You know, and I was like, oh, this is scary stuff. When the, whoever it was, they got to read that bit out. It's the number of a man. It's not even the number of the devil. It's the number of a man. Sometimes when you see these satanic people, you know, with a tattoo that says 666, I want to go up to them and say, you're a great fan of the Emperor Nero, I see. It's not even the number of the devil. It's the number of a man, and that number is 666. Let me tell you about this. Go to the next image. That's the beast. It looks like a lamb, but it's a dragon inside. The first beast is imperial Rome, the political power. The second beast is religious Rome, pagan Rome, the spiritual power. And both of them work together. Next one, please. Nero had, this, that's the Colosseum of Rome, and this is an image of a giant statue that Nero had made of himself. It's called the Colossus of Rome. Do you notice that the Statue of Liberty has exactly the same head? Covering. Interesting. Anyway, but that doesn't exist anymore. After Nero died, the people destroyed it. Next one, that's all that exists now. Little bits of them. In fact, the only thing that really exists in one piece are the two feet, which is interesting because the prophet Daniel uh, saw the, the, the Roman Empire like a great statue, and it broke at the feet and collapsed. That was the collapse of the Roman Empire. So he set up, the, uh, he had the pagan priests set up this statue. And one of the things that he did in Asia Minor was, Every city had a town square called the Agora, and that was also where the marketplaces were. And Nero had the pagan priests set up a statue to him at the entrance place to the markets. And if you lived in any of those cities in Asia Minor and you wanted to go and buy food from the market, or if you were a farmer and you wanted to go and sell food in the market, you could not buy or sell unless you had gone to the image of the beast, the image of Nero, and there was a burning bowl of incense in front of it, and it, there was lots of ash, and you would have to take some ash in your right hand and wipe it on your forehead, kind of like Ash Wednesday or something, and lift up your hand to the statue and say, Nero is Lord. And if you did that, you were allowed to go into the marketplace and you could then buy or sell using a coin that had the head of Nero on it and his name, Caesar Nero or Neron Kaiser. And remembering that every letter is also a number, his name adds up to 666. And the only people who could not buy or sell in the marketplace were the Christians, because they would not worship the image of the beast, nor would they take the mark of the beast upon themselves, nor would they say that Nero was Lord. And so that was a way that Nero and the pagan priests were able to find out who the Christians were, have them arrested, and behead them. This is a, that, oh sorry, that's a coin, it's not very clear, but on one side it has the head of Nero, and on the other side it has the goddess, the harlot, that we will also see in just a moment in the book of Revelation as well. Next image. 
There's Nero with his name adding up to 666. Um, okay. Oh, yes, I've got a quote from Apollonius, Apollonius of Tiana, who was not a Christian. This is, this is to let you know the Roman citizens themselves hated Nero and called him a beast. Look, in my travels, which have been wider than ever a man yet accomplished, I have seen many, many wild beasts of Arabia and India, but this beast that is commonly called a tyrant, I know not how many heads it has, nor if it be crooked of claw and armed with horrible fangs, and of wild beasts you cannot say that they were ever known to eat their own mother, but Nero has gorged himself on this diet. The Romans called Nero the beast. Nero got the, the pagan priest to set up statues to him. By the way, historians and archaeologists know that the pagan priests had, uh, were good at special effects so that the statues could move while you were worshipping them. They also had chemicals that would come pouring out of them or something, and when the chemicals mixed, it would look like fire falling from heaven. They were also hollow inside, so a priest could get up and could speak, and it looked like the statue could move and speak and perform signs and wonders, but it was all fakery and charlatanism as part of the pagan worship in order to get people away from the true God to worship a robot, basically, was what it was all about. And so, Nero was the beast. It wasn't Saddam Hussein. It wasn't Osama bin Laden. It wasn't Barack Obama. It isn't whoever it is that you watched a YouTube video of last week. It was Nero, and once you see it, you will never be duped again. One more image. One more image we're going to look at. The harlot. Jerusalem the harlot. Jerusalem in the book of Revelation is called the harlot. It is called Babylon, it is called Sodom, it is called Egypt, it is called the great city, and it's at Revelation 13. In fact, it goes for about three, three chapters. Let's look at the image. Or, let, or let's look at this first. This is just to give you a background. For a quote from Isaiah, a quote from Jesus, and a quote from the book of Revelation. Isaiah says, see how Jerusalem, the once faithful city, has become a harlot. Now, you will see lots of weird things going around saying, you know, the United States of America is the harlot, or, or particularly New York because the Statue of Liberty is wearing Nero's hat, or it's the European Union, or it's the Vatican, or it's this or it's that. In the Bible, it's Jerusalem. The once faithful city has become a harlot. Once the home of justice and righteousness, she is now filled with murderers. This is Jerusalem in the first century, who instead of being God's people like they were supposed to be, were killing the prophets, killed the Messiah, and then started killing the apostles and early Christians. Jesus said, I am sending to Jerusalem prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you, Jerusalem in the first century, will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. And Revelation tells us, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, 
that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? Was Jesus crucified in New York, in Vatican City, in, 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 in Germany, in Jerusalem? It's not a trick question. You can't answer it. Was Jesus crucified in Jerusalem? So the great city where the Lord was crucified is what? Jerusalem. So when the Bible, book of Revelation talks about Babylon, it's talking about Jerusalem at the time of the first century and how it was about to be destroyed. Let's, let's look on. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you, by the way, there's seven, didn't look at them, but there's seven bowls in the book of Revelation that are poured out like a judgment upon Jerusalem. And if you go back last week to Jesus' prophecy, he said to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, he gave them seven woes. Woe to you, hypocrites, you oppressed people. Woe to you, you snakes. Woe to you, you brood of vipers, seven times. And that's what these seven bowls Come and I will show you the punishment of the great harlot who sits by many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. The scarlet beast, if this was the scarlet beast, We've already seen that it's Rome. It's the Roman Empire and the political system. This woman is getting a free ride on the back of Rome. The city of Jerusalem and its religious leaders had entered into a pact with Rome. They had betrayed their covenant with God, and they had joined together with pagan Rome. And it was the religious leaders in Jerusalem and the pagan Roman leaders who together had crucified the Messiah. They arrested him and handed him over to the Romans, and they finished the job and crucified him. She's getting a free ride on the back of Rome, but it's not going to last much longer. Rome, the beast, is now going to turn on the harlot. Rome is now going to turn on Jerusalem. The beast is now going to burn the harlot with fire. Rome is going to completely burn the city to the ground, just like Jesus promised. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Covered with, so I saw a woman on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and seven heads and ten horns, the Roman Empire. Next, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls and had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. By the way, all the colors described there are the robes that the high priest in Jerusalem wore, including the gemstones that he wore on his breastplate. This is saying the with all their pomp and ceremony, their religion is a farce. It's become corrupt. It's become sinful. It's become selfish. It's become evil. And this cup, do you remember? Remember Jesus turned the money changers' tables over? You see, you see, the priests in the temple had a real good system going. It was like when you, when you were outside the temple, you bought and sold with one kind of money. But when you came to the temple, you had to go to the money changers and exchange your currency for temple currency. And you got a bad exchange rate. 
And then you, you would spend temple currency, kind of like Mickey Mouse dollars, you know? You would spend that in the temple. And then when you were leaving, you couldn't spend temple currency outside, so you had to change it again, and you got an even worse exchange rate on the way back. I mean, I've worked out, I'm trying to work out a way that there's gateway money, and before you come in the door, you have to change. <laughs> but that's what they did, so they could scoop the exchange rate both in the way in and in the way out. And the coins that they minted had a golden cup on it, but they used it as an abomination to make themselves wealthy on the backs of the people. Okay. Um, Yes, in her hand, filled with abominable things, and written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people. This is the religious leaders who killed every prophet that came their way, stoned Stephen to death, the first Christian martyr, and killed the Messiah. Um, The blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Next, please. There's the image of the harlot sitting on the back of the beast of the city of Jerusalem who's become corrupt and has entered into a covenant with pagan Rome as they join together to murder the Messiah, the Savior of the world that God sent. Next, please. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Rome was the city of seven hills. Rome is the beast of seven heads that the woman's getting a free ride on. They are also seven kings, the seven Caesars. Five have fallen. One currently is, that's the Emperor Nero, who was the emperor at the time, who got them to make the big statues of himself, who was the beast. Uh, One is... And the other has not yet come, but when he does, he must remain only a little while. That's Galba, who lasted eight months. The beast and the ten horns that you saw, that's the ten um, administrative regions of the Roman Empire, will hate the harlot. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Rome will break its covenant with the leaders of Jerusalem and will turn on them and will kill them. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's word are are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city, which we saw as Jerusalem. And there's a famous painting of the Romans burning the city of Jerusalem down with fire. The beast destroying the harlot. Draco attacking Israel. Okay, next please. They gathered the kings together in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Don't worry about the battle of Armageddon. It already happened a long, long time ago. Okay? The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice. You see, the temple is still standing. This is before the temple was destroyed. Came a loud voice from the temple saying, Ah, ah, ah. (laughs) You see, that was a sign. That was a prophetic sign. (laughs) A loud voice from the temple saying, It is done. 
Do you know what that reminds me of? Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross and the veil in the temple was ripped? Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. It's finished. We don't need sacrifices anymore. The historian Josephus records that during that time of great tribulation, that three and a half year war, the people were in the temple one day and everybody in the temple heard a loud voice from the inner courts in the temple saying, it's over, let us depart. And they all began to get worried because they thought the presence of God or the angels of God or something has just left the temple. The Romans are going to invade. It is done. It's over. It's finished. Then there came flashes of lightning. By the way, when the Romans invaded Jerusalem, not only did they have the banner of the constellation Draco, not only did they have the banners of eagles that Jesus said would gather around, but they carried the banner of the lightning bolt as well. And um, rumblings and peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. That happened when Josephus said there was an earthquake when they heard that voice saying, uh, let us leave. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was its quake. That reminds me of Jesus saying, in Judea there will come a time of great tribulation so bad it's like nothing that's ever happened since the beginning of time. Do you know that the Romans killed about a million people in that war? Do you know that they crucified so many of the Jews in the city of Jerusalem that they ran out of trees to crucify them on? So they just started nailing them to the walls of the city. And then they got their bulldozers, their big barricade things, and they pushed the city walls into the valley of Gehenna, the burning rubbish dump. And the people fell in there dead or, or still alive but dying in there. Didn't Jesus warn the religious leaders, unless you accept my message of peace, unless you accept God's kingdom, if, and, if you don't stop going your own way, you're going to end up being surrounded by armies and cast into Gehenna. It happened exactly like Jesus warned them that it would. Let's look at the next thing. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nation collapsed. The city of Jerusalem got divided into three factions, and each one had a different false messiah, and they began fighting amongst themselves as well as with the Romans. And all over the Roman Empire, little city-states began to collapse their political power as they began to break away. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. You're saying, but I thought God was a loving God, not a wrathful God. Wrath is not part of God's character. Wrath was part of the old covenant. The people had a law. If you obeyed the law, you got a blessing. If you disobeyed the law, you got wrath. The only people who were under the old covenant law were the people of Israel. So the only people who got wrath were the people of Israel for breaking the law. This is all symbolic language. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. And from the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. I want you to think of this. It even tells us the weight of the hailstones. And when we go to the history books and we read history, we know exactly what they were. You see, Jerusalem had been married to God 
by covenant. But Jerusalem had been unfaithful to God, had killed God's Messiah, and had made a pact with pagan Rome instead, and had become a harlot. Well, under the Old Testament law, what was the punishment for a harlot? They got stoned to death. So the city is about to be stoned. And it even tells you the weight of the hailstones. And the historians record that when the Romans were invading Jerusalem, they put stones of that exact weight in their catapults. And if it was, they, they tried to get white stones, but if they were black, they painted them white to look like hailstones, so they were difficult to see in the daytime sky as they came. Let me show you some things. Go next. There's the Roman banners with the lightning. As the soldiers invaded Jerusalem, there were bolts of lightning, it says. Very, very frightening thing, Galileo. Okay, next image. <laughs> There's the big hailstones. There is the stones that the catapults, that's all that's left of them. Um, and I think that, uh, that is it. Okay, and so what I want you to know is this. When you're reading the book of Revelation, and it sounds like there's scary monsters in it, and Godzilla's arising, and you might get tattooed in your head, and the government might behead you, and you hear about all these things, I want you to remember that the book of Revelation says it was about things which were soon to take place. And it was written and sent to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And it says itself that it is the prophecy of Jesus. And the prophecy of Jesus, as we saw last week, was about how a great tribulation was going to come to Jeru Jerusalem and Judea within one generation. Then there would be a long period of time when the gospel message is going forth and the kingdom is advancing, and one day Jesus will return and make all things right. Book of Revelation is the same. It is saying, look, all of these terrible things, Jerusalem's about to be destroyed in just a few short years' time, very soon, and you people in Asia Minor are going to hear news about it and see that. And then once that happens, the Roman soldiers are going to come to where you are, and the emperor's going to set up statues to try and make you worship him. And when you don't, he's going to persecute you. But don't worry about that. Just like the Old Testament is, is going to fall, the Roman Empire is going to fall. I mean, there's people today who are being persecuted by ISIS and by communists and by all kinds of people for their faith in Jesus, just like Rome, just like Babylon, just like Jerusalem. Everyone that persecutes the church of Jesus Christ will eventually fall but the church will remain and will continue to grow. And so as we see these prophecies, know that it is not about events about to happen in our lifetime, that you don't need to scour the news channels to see if something is about to happen that the book of Revelation says. The book of Revelation is about the great change that took place as human history transitioned from one age the old covenant age, and transitioned into a brand new covenant. And when everything of the old was washed away and wiped away, and now we no longer live by a religious law code. Now we no longer have to go on a pilgrimage to meet with God. Now we no longer have to bring a sheep with us to church and cut its throat to pay for our sins.
Now we no longer have to go to a priest and ask him to pray to God on our behalf. The great change has taken place. The Roman Empire rose up and wiped out the old covenant Jerusalem, and then the Roman Empire itself collapsed and fell. And now we are living under a new kingdom where we do not have to live by religion, but by an open relationship with God, where we don't have to fear the future, but we can look at the future with hope and optimism and expectation and faith. And we don't have to be going about trying to find everything that's wrong in society because everything that's wrong was gradually being undone and everything that is right is coming in as God's kingdom advances more and more. We can believe and have faith that His kingdom is coming and His will is being done here on earth as it is in heaven, step by step and stage by stage. I went way over my time, but we're going to pray anyway. Let's stand together. Come on. <laughs> Come on, let's lift our hands up to God. We're going to say this prayer, and I'm hoping that it's meaning more and more as you see that everything that is wrong in the world is gradually being undone. Evil people and evil powers will arise. Beasts will arise, but they will fall. But God's kingdom will never be shaken. And if His kingdom's in our life, your life will never be shaken. And if His kingdom's in your home, your home won't be shaken. And if your kingdom's in this church, this church is in the, won't be shaken. And if, if this kingdom is advancing in us and through us, whatever's going on in the world, we will not be shaken. Our feet are on the rock. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Beloved Father, who fills all realms, may you be honored in me. Let your divine rule come now. Let your will come true in all the universe, in the heavens and on earth. Give us all that we need for each day and untangle the knots of unforgiveness that bind us within as we also let go of the guilt of others. Let us not be lost in superficial things, but let us be free from that which keeps us from our true purpose. From you comes all rule, the strength to act, and the song that beautifies all from age to age. Amen.